0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Love Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If
1: you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony,
2: well, there's nothing you can't have. on the Savage Lovecast.
3: So a couple weeks ago when grab him by the pussy broke when that old recording of Donald Trump bragging to Billy Bean on the Access Hollywood bus about how he regularly assaulted women when that broke. And there were calls for Donald Trump to maybe drop out of the race. And there was an emergency meeting of the Republican National Committee about maybe Donald Trump dropping out of the race. What do we do if he drops out of the race? And I said, and Hillary Clinton said on SNL, he shouldn't drop out of the race, that we've come this far with Donald Trump and so much damage has been done to our nation by Donald Trump, that he really should stay in to the bitter, bitter end because now he's damaging the Republican Party that is responsible, and you're seeing that now. You're seeing the Senate clearly moving toward the Democratic side. You're seeing the House in peril, and it's delicious. It's some small compensation for the garbage and the grief of the last year and a half what Donald Trump has put us through. A tiny little tiny itty bitty silver lining in the shit black cloud that has been this election season. And I'm here at the top of today's show to identify another silver lining, and that is the destruction of Trump Inc., the destruction of the Trump brand. A couple of weeks ago, the New York Times had a front page story about golfers and upper middle class, usually pretty kind of conservative, white people canceling their reservations at Trump resorts because they didn't want to be seen walking in and out of them. They didn't want people to think that they were shitty, xenophobic racists themselves by patronizing Trump establishments. And this was mostly anecdote. Mostly it was just interviews with various random people. Well, now the data is coming in and the data is delicious. If you're angry at Donald Trump and his three creepy, shitty children and their spouses and what they've done to the country, well, the country is going to turn around and do something marvelous to them. It's going to put them all out of work. Hotel bookings for Trump resorts. Way down. Actual data. Trump's new shitty hotel in Washington, D.C. They can't give rooms away during the recent IMF, International Monetary Fund, conference when every other luxury hotel in town was booked solid. There were rooms to spare at the new Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. They were discounting them on Hotels.com. More evidence that the Trump brand may be fatally wounded, maybe bleeding there on the ground thanks to the orange racist, bigot, xenophobe asshole has been running for president. Trump Hotel's Quietly announced a couple of weeks ago and only really broke in the news really this week that they are rebranding their new hotels. They will not be opening new Trump hotels because people don't want to fucking go to Trump hotels. They're going to call them Skyon, which means the affluent progeny of some rich asshole. This is an effort to, in our minds, end the association of Trump hotel properties with the asshole, orange, racist, xenophobic bigot. And instead for us to associate these new hotels with his Creepy, serial killer, vibing, awful, rare, exotic animal, shooting, racist themselves, icky children. And the contagion has spread to the one Trump that people thought was redeemable, the one Trump that people kind of wanted to like, despite the water she was carrying for the racist, xenophobic bigot at the top of the Republican ticket. That is, of course, Ivanka Trump. Raw Story reports, it seems Trump's business spiral isn't isolated to the Donald, and Ivanka Trump might soon need to take her name off her fashion line as well. According to Yahoo Fashion, women are not only boycotting Ivanka's brand, they're also avoiding stores that sell it. So, that's delicious. Elections, as they say, have consequences. So does, as Ivanka is learning now, running interference for your racist, sexist, xenophobic, rapey, orange dad. Consequences there, too. This is going to be a small consolation in the next year. We will still have Trumpism to deal with. The white supremacism the anti-semitism the xenophobia the racism the islamophobia all of these things that trump has stirred the fuck up over the last year and a half we will still be dealing with that after november 9th we will still be dealing with trumpism but there is a small consolation there is a price that will be paid not just by the nation for trumpism but by trump for trumpism Quickly, before we get to the questions and the show and the guests, I want to give a shout out to a really nice couple. And this is a sex story. Hey, we haven't had a sex story at the top of this sex show for a long time because of the fucking national election. This is a sex story. Shout out to the couple I met at a movie theater this weekend who came up to me, older couple, late 40s, early 50s, to tell me, to thank me and Mistress Matisse and Savannah Sly and the people we've had on the show to talk about sex work, that because they were regular listeners to the podcast when they learned that their daughter was doing professional domination work to help pay for college so as not to be too much of a burden to her parents and so as not to go into crushing debt by taking out too many student loans, they didn't have a panic attack. They knew something. They were informed. And they were able to have a reasonable conversation with their daughter about safety, about anonymity, and about what she's doing for money at this moment without having a meltdown, without feeling shame, without shaming their daughter, and without feeling unnecessarily unduly panicked about the kind of sex work that she is doing. So it was nice to meet you. Thank you for the thank you. And I will relay your thanks, lovely couple, to Savannah Sly, Mistress Matisse, and the rest of our guests who've touched on sex work. All right, coming up on today's show, we have the hosts from the podcast One Bad Mother to handle a particularly tricky parenting question with me, and of course, tons of your questions all coming up. No more politics on today's show.
4: Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old heterosexual female living in LA. I moved to LA about six months ago, but since then, I've struggled to find a full-time, well-paying job. Yesterday, I had an interview for a job that I was excited about, but... When I met the boss, in other words, the guy I would be reporting to, alarm bells went off in my head. For starters, he seemed to take a particular interest in why I moved here. On several occasions, he asked if it was because of a guy or whether I was about to be engaged or where was my ring. That was awkward in itself, but the larger issue was in the way he looked at me. Now, like most women in the workforce, I've had colleagues check me out from time to time. This was a different kind of thing. To be clear, he did not cross a line. He did not do anything wrong. But still, I left with a terrible feeling. I couldn't help but think he was the Donald Trump of finance. In other words, the kind of guy who would, you know, accidentally walk into a room if he knew a female was changing. Under normal circumstances, I would walk away. But the truth of the matter is I'm nearly exhausted my savings. I have rent to pay. Don't even get me started on student debt. Dan, if he offers me the job, should I take it? Despite the alarm bells going off in my head. And how does one cope with a boss that gives them the creep?
3: You need the job. My advice would be to take the job, document everything, keep contemporaneous records, share whatever misgivings you have about the interview with friends now, share whatever misgivings you have about the way you're treated at work with colleagues and coworkers that you come to trust. And if he creates a hostile work environment, if he's a creep, if he creeps on you, if he walks into a room where he knows you happen to be changing, hopefully you won't have cause to change at work in finance, and then you quit, and then you sue him, and then you retire some of that student debt.
1: Hey, yeah. So I had a question about breakups. I guess like the situation always
5: kind of dictates how you're going to feel about it. You always feel a little bit shitty. You know, when you break up with somebody it's a lot easier than when they break up with you. My issue has been uh, after we've broken up, I've had these kind of consistent feelings that my, my ex is just a, a better person than I am, which I should be happy about. Right. I should be happy that she's that way. Uh, but it, it feels like there's this kind of indomitable wall that I can't get behind in my life. Like, I'll, I'll never be able to be more interesting or wholesome than her uh, now that we're broken up. And I guess, how do you deal with that? And how do you how do you regain uh, some of your own confidence after somebody's broken
1: up with you?
3: So your ex is more interesting, you say, and more wholesome than you. Interesting and wholesome, usually things that don't come in a bundle, usually things that don't come in a package. Usually someone is interesting or wholesome. Rarely do they achieve interesting and wholesome. So your ex must be quite a person. You yourself must be quite a person as well. I know that when you get dumped, there's always this temptation to tear yourself down because of the rejection. But the trick you have to play in your mind is when you get dumped, you kind of have to start building yourself up and that's an intentional choice. Like get out of the house, go places, do things. If you feel not as interesting as her, ask yourself what are you interested in? Go out and do more of that. Get up to speed on whatever your interests are. Become an expert in the field of your interests and you will be – through that effort, a more interesting person. You will certainly be a more interesting person if you get out there and throw yourself into your interests, whatever they are, than if you just sit around your apartment bemoaning the fact that you are not as interesting, you think, as your ex-girlfriend is in your head. And it also helps get over rejection. If you regard rejection, if you learn to regard rejection as painful as it is, as fake it till you make it, a process as it is, if you learn to regard rejection as your friend, because what it means when somebody breaks up with you is you are no longer wasting your time on someone who isn't interested in you. You are continuing to make an emotional investment in that relationship with that person and they want it out. So the sooner they come to you and end it and get out, the less wasted investment you're going to make in that person. And the sooner you will be on to someone who welcomes that emotional investment, who does want to be with you. So getting rejected Hurts, but getting to rejection in a relationship that isn't going to work out for the long run, if the long run is what you want, yeah, hurts, but also in a way helps because it moves you on to the person coming, hopefully, in your future, coming, hopefully, in your presence, on your face, whatever. That person, that person you will be ready and available for because you are no longer in a relationship. With someone who doesn't want you, you're no longer investing your time and energy, sexual and emotional and otherwise, in her. So, get out there, be interesting, good luck.
6: Hi Dan, I'm calling about your opening to episode 520, your sex-shamed Donald Trump. I agree, the video isn't good, he is not a good person, but it's just another way of sex-shaming a person. And it's not cool. I thought you would be more supportive, and I think you
1: should be more supportive.
3: Let's just go to the tape, shall we?
1: Yeah, that's it. With the gold, I've got to use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab by the pussy. (laughs) I can do anything. All
3: right. We're not sex-shaming Donald Trump here because he's a straight guy who appreciates female beauty and can speak to that in a respectful way. And you know what? I'm pro-objectification. You guys have all heard me talk about objectification is something that at times we welcome. At times we want to be treated like object. We are physical beings who move through the world. There is a part of our existence on this planet that is – As an object. And there are times when we want to be assessed as an object. We want to be appreciated as an object by a partner and we invite that. But Donald Trump is not this woman's partner. And it's not just, oh, she's so hot that Donald Trump and Billy Bush are talking with each other about. That's really not the problem. Not desire, not his sexual activity. It's his rapey activity that is a problem here. I just start kissing them, I don't even wait. When you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Grab them by the pussy. You can do anything without waiting, without asking. That's not sex. So we're not sex-shaming Donald Trump when we pile on him about these comments. We are sexual assault-shaming Donald Trump, which is appropriate and called for. Because this shit is wrong. Go look up Kelly Oxford on Twitter. She tweeted Right after the tape broke, women, tweet me your first assaults. They aren't just stats. I'll go first. Old man on city bus grabs my, quote unquote, pussy and smiles at me. I'm 12. You get in line and you go read several hundred thousand of the tweets sent out in response to Kelly Oxford. More than a million now. Just go read several hundred thousand. I think that might help you. Several hundred thousand accounts of women being assaulted, grabbed, mauled. By shitbags like Donald Trump. That is not about sex shaming. Saying that's a shitty behavior. That's again sexual assault shaming. Sexual predator shaming. Rapist shaming. And people who assault people. Prey on them. Rape them. They should be shamed. They have done something shameful. They should be ashamed of themselves. And if you go read the tweets that Kelly Oxford got in response to her call. And you aren't heartbroken and you don't understand what's wrong with the question you called in with, then you are perhaps past helping. And if you're past helping on this issue, you are a part of the problem. You're a man. I'm a man. We move through the world with this expectation that we are physically relatively safe. We are safe from this kind of sexual predation that Donald Trump bragged about engaging in this tape. Women Don't move through the world with that expectation of safety, which is why these comments were so much more offensive and scalding and upsetting to women. And maybe if when you were 12 years old and you were on a bus, somebody grabbed your genitals and then that wasn't the last time that happened, just the first time that happened, maybe you would understand what's wrong with Donald Trump's remarks. Maybe if you went and talked to some of your female relatives, maybe if you went and spoke to your female romantic partner, if indeed you have one. Not sure you deserve one if you have one, but if you have one, you might want to ask her about whether it's sex shaming Donald Trump to point out that his comments are and his actions, as we now know, are not okay, are completely fucked up, have nothing to do with the I supported expression of desire, nothing to do with that, nothing to do with a healthy imagination, everything to do with unhealthy sexist predation. And he should be ashamed of himself. And you, sir, if you're coming to his defense, you should be ashamed of yourself too.
7: Hi, Dan. Um, I am a late twenties social worker living in Detroit, living and working in Detroit. Um, and I have a professional personal question for you. Almost all of my clients are people of color. A lot of them are women. Um, I work with two two men, white men, in their fifties, who are Trump supporters, and it is really upsetting and seems contradictory that they would be Trump supporters when they've dedicated their lives to this kind of work. I've tried to avoid the conversations. I've tried to engage in like calm, rational conversations, discussing the obvious terrifying elements of Trump and the merits of Hillary Clinton. And I feel like they're gaslighting me and it's really, really upsetting. So I don't know if you can offer any suggestions on how to keep my sanity and keep my job Under these circumstances, because I mean, I'm not the only woman who feels like this man is triggering and terrifying and any insight that you can offer would be really, really helpful.
3: I'm sure you've seen those terrifying hypothetical maps floating around online. This is what the electoral college breakdown would look like. Red state, blue state breakdown would look like if only men could vote. Donald Trump would win the election By a landslide. If only white people could vote, this is how the electoral map would look. And Donald Trump wins the election by a landslide. If only people over 50 could vote, here's what the map would look like Donald Trump wins by a landslide. Well, thank God that we have women and people of color and young people here to save old white men from their apparent drive, desire to destroy the fucking country. Thank God. Women vote. People of color vote. Young people vote. Queer people vote. Remember, never forget 2012, Romney-Obama split the straight vote. 49%, 49%. Right down the middle, a tie. Obama took 76% of the queer vote and won the election if you slice the pie up by sexual orientation thanks to queer voters. So queer people, you vote. We vote too and we save the country too. So, caller. These old white guys at work, not really learning anything when they blow their mouths off about Trump that you shouldn't already know. Old white guys, the majority of them. Look around your office. Hopefully there's some other old white guys there who are not voting for Trump. I'm white. I'm over 50. I'm a guy, queer, but not voting for Trump. Maybe that can help you keep these two or this small handful of old white guys at your place of employment. In some sort of perspective, maybe it'll help you shrug off their comments, not feel triggered by their support for Trump, who you find triggering, because they're going to lose. Go to 538.com, play the percentage game, cross yourself three or four times, even if you are not Catholic. It works. It's magic. No plane I'm on it ever crashes because I always remember to cross myself. And just tell yourself, fucker's going to lose the election. We're still going to have to deal with Trumpism After the election, the poisons he has unleashed are going to continue to sicken us before we get better. But you don't have to feel like you got to rush in and talk these guys out of it. You don't have to feel like you have to engage with them at all. Write them off, place them in the tiny basket of deplorables in your mind, and refuse to be baited, refuse to discuss it, refuse to be triggered. Borrow a page from my life. My father, independent though he is, tends to vote for the Republican candidate for whatever, whenever he can. So every four years, right around this time, we just kind of stop talking about politics because it's too explosive. And you can say to them when they want to talk Trump, you can look at them and say, I don't want to talk politics. I want to talk about work. Let's talk about our clients or Westworld or something else, not this.
8: Hi, Dan. I'm a 27 year old straight female living in California. I love your show and your advice, and I'm calling with a question about dealing with families that I hope you can help me with. I recently married my husband and things are great between us. I love him so much. We've been together for six years, and I'm really proud of the relationship we've built together that's really based on love, trust, and respect. My issue is not with my husband at all. It's with his family. So, Dan, one of the reasons why I love your show is that you are a very logical, thoughtful person. You always take the time to analyze different scenarios and think about possible outcomes. My husband and I are the same way. We're very rational, logical people and like to calmly think things through and make careful decisions together. My husband's sister, on the other hand, is the complete opposite. She's really erratic and illogical with her thinking and often lashes out when she doesn't get her way. What's worse, she seems to have little capacity to think empathetically about others. As an example, even though my husband texts her every few days, calls her regularly, and even makes trips to visit her when he can, every few months she sends a string of awful text messages to him, accusing him of being a negligent and absent brother. She seems to have an insatiable need for attention, and he can never do enough to make her happy. This puts my husband in an endless cycle of feeling like he's a bad brother when, in my personal opinion, his sister needs to be more understanding that he is busy and can't be in touch 24-7. So, Dan, here's my question for you. When you are a logical person, how do you deal with somebody who doesn't think logically or reasonably? I frankly think she's emotionally abusive. And if she were a friend, I'd advise my husband to completely cut her out of his life. But, of course, she isn't, and at the end of the day, my husband wants to be a good brother and a good family member. So, Dan, any advice on how to manage or cope with the crazy? could really use your help here.
3: You don't mention whether or not your husband's actions in response to his sister's manipulations are making you miserable. If this is taking time away from you, if this is having a negative impact on your relationship with your husband— or if this is just something that you see him going through and you think someone's treating your husband badly and it annoys you and you empathize and if you were in his shoes you would do x y and z to make it stop if it's the former if this is making you miserable his sister's bullshit games then you have to go to your husband and say somebody's going to be miserable in this equation your wife or your sister and If you have to choose, if you're the husband and you have to choose between an irrational, miserable, upset, griping sister and an unhappy, miserable wife, you are supposed to choose unhappy sister over unhappy wife. And you're going to have to really wall off your sister a little bit and protect yourself and, by extension, our marriage from her bullshit and her machinations and her drama on the other hand, it's the latter. You're just watching what he goes through and you feel bad for him. And you know because you're a rational, logical person that there is no bottom to his sister's misery or her needs because citing that misery and pointing to those needs is how she controls your brother and gets him to dance attendance upon her. And if he's a logical person, he should be able to see that particularly if you point that out to him enough times that there's no satisfying her in this because her misery is her lover. She's going to keep pushing that lever so long as it works. So really what I think you should both do is a united front here where your husband doesn't quite cut her off but really pulls way back. And if she says you have to come running right now and he says no and she has a heart attack and throws a fit, he's going to have to power through those feelings of being a bad brother and her attempts to manipulate and guilt trip him about it. She's throwing tantrums. Your husband needs to understand this, particularly if you ever are going to have kids together. Tantrums don't stop so long as they work. And right now, his sister, her tantrums, they work on him. And so they're going to keep coming and coming and coming and coming and coming until they stop working, which is going to require some gonadal fortitude on both your parts to let her howl and scream And whether the accusations that he's a terrible brother and you, you awful sister-in-law, have had this awful impact on my brother and a bad influence on my brother, just let her howl. Let her scream herself hoarse. And when it stops working, when your brother doesn't come running anymore, maybe she can have an adult relationship with him. Or maybe she won't have any sort of relationship with him. Maybe she will do your brother the favor of cutting him out of her life.
9: Hey, Dan, 26-year-old straightish female from the Midwest here, and I have a question about how to encourage a partner to seek help. I've been with my boyfriend for two years. We lived together for most of that time. Up until recently, we've enjoyed a great and varied sex life. We've always had a little bit of a mismatch in terms of libido, with me having a slightly higher drive, but we had found a balance that was working really well for us. The last few months have been really tough at my boyfriend's job, working 12-plus-hour days, seven days a week, and constantly on call. He offers... Also suffers from some PSD from emotional and physical abuse as a child. Most of the time, his PTSD is under control, but as with most mental illnesses, stress can amplify its effect. As he has been so stressed with work, he has completely shut himself off. We have been intimate only about once a month for the last four months. If I try to initiate any physical intimacy, including just cuddling on the couch, he pulls away. After months of frustration, I used my words and told him what I was seeing and how it was making me feel. I told him I understood that the stress was really wearing on him, but that I really missed and craved that physical connection. I asked him if he if there was anything I could do to help. His answer was for me to quit trying. He told me that he loves me and is attracted to me, but has deep-seated intimacy issues and is only interested in touching right now if he initiates it. Obviously, I'm hurt and it seems super unfair, I understand mental illness is a fickle bitch. I brought up the idea of him going to therapy and or us going together. He told me he was not interested and that he doesn't think therapy helps, probably because he's had shitty ones, shitty therapists before. I've offered to reach research and contact therapists, but nothing. I'm hoping that this is just a hard stage and that this too shall pass, but I know that's not a guarantee. I would appreciate any advice you could give me on encouraging him to work through this with me. I love him and I really don't want him to go, but I hate the idea of having little say in my own sex life.
3: You're 26 years old. You've been in this relationship for 24 months. And for four of those months or one sixth of the length of this relationship, your boyfriend who has issues, mental health issues, PTSD is still dealing with the, the impact of whatever abuse it was that he suffered as a child. And that's awful. And I ache for him. Hasn't been able to meet your needs. And not only that, has had to really ask you not to touch him and and to impose upon you an imbalance uh, around intimacy and affection and the expression of both those things, where he can initiate, he can reach out and touch you when he has a, a need for physical intimacy or physical contact, but you are not allowed to do those things to him. And that is, as you say, unfair, unfair to you. And the question then becomes, when you're in a relationship like this, How much unfairness are you obligated, emotionally obligated, ethically obligated to swallow or tolerate or endure out of consideration for the other person's damage? That's a question that I think you have to answer for yourself. But if I were in your shoes, I would be tempted to go to my boyfriend in the most loving and supportive way I possibly could with resources lined up for him just in case and say to him, look, right now, my presence in your life is adding to your stress levels, which are making you unhappy and seem to be triggering your PTSD and shutting you off emotionally and sexually and intimately, just can't even cuddle. So I think that for right now, we should take a break. We should stop dating. That doesn't mean we can't circle back. It doesn't mean that when you're in a better place with less stress in your life and you may be able to handle. The stress that does come with having a romantic partner, we could pick up where we left off. But for right now, this circumstance where I can't touch you and my presence and my needs add to your stress levels that I know that are already making you miserable, that's untenable. That's not a healthy place for either of us to be. We don't have to throw pots and pans at each other. We don't have to hate each other. We don't have to be angry. Let's just take a break and make sure that we're both putting the blame where it belongs, which is on whoever abused you and the mental illness and the PTSD. Neither of us are necessarily at fault here, but just because neither of us are at fault right now in this relationship doesn't mean this relationship is in either of our best interests at this moment.
6: Hi, Dan, I'm a 25 year old gay man. And my question is about how to approach the situation where your significant other's parents seem to want nothing to do with you. A bit of background, my boyfriend and I have been dating for over a year and a half, the longest relationship for either of us. I've introduced him to most of my family, including some extended family, and they absolutely love him, which is awesome. On the other hand, my boyfriend has a much different relationship with his family, particularly his parents. He's been out for most of his adult life now, but they are very religious and don't seem to want to acknowledge his personal life at all. Apparently, they've met some past boyfriends in passing, but officially bringing someone home hasn't happened yet for him, which brings me to my situation. I was recently made aware that I am not welcome to join him and his family for Thanksgiving this year. I am not exactly sure how that point was made to my boyfriend. Part of me suspects he didn't actually ask them and just made the decision for himself. But either way, I understand that it's a difficult situation for him to be in since he is taking advantage of his parents' hospitality when he's back home. I also want to respect his decisions if he wants to take this part of our relationship slow, but at what point is it fair for me to say that eventually he just needs to grow up? There, Maybe I am taking this too personally, so be completely honest, Dan. I come from families where guests have always been welcome to our gatherings, so I do feel a bit judged and hurt. Moving forward, I also don't want to end up in a relationship where I can't spend major holidays with my boyfriend because his parents would rather pretend that I don't exist and he'd rather not rock the boat. Even if it's just a couple weeks out of the year, I think it's reasonable to want to share those memories together as a couple and they can ignore me for the rest of the year to be completely honest. Any advice or brutal honesty would be appreciated.
3: No ultimatums at this stage, 1.5 years into the relationship, but you need to put him on notice. Tell your boyfriend, that you understand why he's going home for Thanksgiving. You have a large loving family yourself. You're sad that you won't be together at Thanksgiving, but you understand where he's at at this moment in his relationship with his parents and where he's at referencing earlier call. Parents are still having the tantrum about his sexuality and the tantrums are continuing because they work on your boyfriend because he allows himself to be manipulated by his parents' tantrums. They will never stop. You don't have to go into that with him. What you do need to say to him is I will put up with this for now. But if we end up going the long haul, if there's a serious future together, the two of us, I'm not going to be with someone who abandons me on holidays to run off and spend time with his hateful homophobic family that reject this part of him. If we are going to down the road, make a serious commitment to each other. That means we're casting our lots in together. That means we are a unit. We are a couple. I put you first you put me first. We will be, if we reach that point, we will be each other's immediate next of kin spouses. And so that means I will be more important to you and in your life and to you for your future than your parents are who are your past. And you don't abuse your future to appease these monsters who are in your past. And like I always say to kids with shitty, evangelical, fundy parents, your only, and you should say this to your boyfriend, your only leverage over your parents when you are an adult child, independent and on your own, your only leverage is your presence. That's it. If they can't treat you with respect, if they can't treat the people that you love with respect, then you don't make yourself present. You don't show up. You have to play that card love me, love my, if this is in your future, my husband, respect me, respect my husband, welcome me, welcome my husband, or I am not coming home. Is what your boyfriend has to be prepared to say to his parents. And he will never get to a new and better place with his parents if he does not say that to them. There's no guarantee he'll get to a better place with his parents if he does say that to him, but he will never, guaranteed, he will never get to a better place with his parents if he doesn't say it them. And some compensation, he has you. He has your extended family. He won't be homeless for the holidays if he rejects his parents' conditional offers of hospitality. Hospitality offered him around the holidays on the condition that he not be himself, that he not love who he loves, on the condition that they don't have to treat with respect. The person, if you indeed become that person in time, I don't think you are that person at 1.5 years, not able to treat the person he loves most and values most, with the respect that that person deserves by being loved by their son. So, yeah, grow a pair of gonads of some sort gradually. Right now, put them on notice that those gonads are growing. They're not to the line in the (laughs) sand. I don't know if you draw a line in the sand with your nuts, but I guess if you were super flexible, you could. But not to the gonads drawing a line in the sand stage yet. Not to ultimatum point yet. Just put it in his head that right now you're going to be the bigger person. You're going to be the more loving person than his parents are capable of being. You're not going to put him in a position where he has to right now choose between his parents and you. But he's going to put himself in that position down the road. He's going to, if he commits to you, he will have put himself in the position where he has to choose between you and his parents. And the choice should be obvious. Hi,
10: Dan. I am a 34-year-old straight cis female living in the Midwest. I am in a nine-year monogamous relationship with my partner. For the last, I would say, year or so, the sex has really declined, but we absolutely love each other, and when the sex is great, it's great. When it's bad, it's really bad. I was recently invited to a play party uh, with a girlfriend of mine. I grew up going to play parties when I say grow up. I mean, when I was 19, 20 years old, I was going to play parties, and my experience with those is they were strictly kink parties, no sex allowed at the parties themselves. I really enjoyed going to them, but I had a bad experience that really me off of them for a long time. Uh, I've been interested in going to play parties again. My partner is very vanilla, but it's definitely on the table and it's something that we're discussing. This particular party that my friend invited me to was an all-female party, so it's definitely something that I feel like my partner would have been comfortable going, me going to alone. However, I later found out, um, as me and the girls were getting to know one another, we were all in a group chat, we we're sending sexy messages to one another, sexy pictures, that sort of thing, all pretty innocent. But I later found out that it wasn't exactly a play party, a kink party, so much as it was an orgy that I was invited to. It hasn't happened yet. It's happening next week, and I'm really on the fence. My partner and I are absolutely monogamous. we would be absolutely crushed and heartbroken if I slept with anyone else. Not that I think that I would. I absolutely think that women are beautiful and sexy and gorgeous. I love going to strip clubs. I love um, being around naked women. They're beautiful. But... That Garfunkel and Oates song about the college try definitely applies to me. Women are sexy. Women are beautiful. But please don't put your vagina in my face. It's just not something that makes me comfortable, and I'm aware of that. That being said, if I were to attend this party, I really don't know if I would get swept up in the moment. So what do you think? Do I go to this party? Do we talk about it? Is it something that I should even entertain the idea of going My thought is if I go and maybe have a little fun and bring that sexual energy back and pound it into my boyfriend, things that I've heard you say before, I don't know. What do you think, Dan?
3: You omitted one salient detail, whether or not your boyfriend knows about this play party now orgy that you've been invited to and whether he's comfortable with you going to this all women play party now orgy. That seems highly relevant. If you were going to sneak off to this play party to uh, absorb the erotic vibes with no intention of doing anything sexual with anyone else without your boyfriend being there and knowing about it and you were really, really sure that you could just soak up the sexual energy to get yourself jazzed and then run home and plow that into him, you could maybe justify that as, you know, something that he would probably rather not know, something that he would not let you do if you asked for permission and if he got caught, maybe better to ask for forgiveness. But if he never found out about it, he would benefit from it because he would come home so jazzed and you would just plow that erotic energy again into him and fuck the shit out of him. And he would never know that what inspired you to such heights of horniness that night was everything you witnessed earlier while you told him you were at the movies or girls night out to dinner or wherever you told him you were going. If indeed he doesn't know where you're going. But I don't think that you can safely rationalize showing up at this party knowing now that it is an orgy. If he slept with someone else, just quoting you right back at you. If I slept with someone else, he would be crushed. And then you say, I don't think I would mess around. But you posit the possibility of being swept up in the moment. So you actually do think you might mess around. And the thing you cite is the reason you may not actually follow through and mess around is having a pussy in your face. But what about having somebody's face in your pussy? What about having somebody's fingers in your pussy. There's messing around at an all-lady orgy that doesn't involve cunnilingus, which for some mild by women is the bar they can't clear. And it was that experience that inspired Garfunkel Notes to write The College Try. It's a great song. Everyone should go listen to it. But I don't think you should risk it, knowing what you know about the likelihood you would end up having a few drinks, maybe, if this is a wet orgy, and messing around with someone. And potentially crushing your boyfriend. So I would urge you instead of sneaking off to this party with or without his permission and risking your relationship, find another play party. That is the kind of play party you describe having attended earlier. The kind of play party you thought this one was no sex, just kink, just bondage or paddling or whatever it was the people used to do at those play parties that you used to be comfortable at and that you thought this would be a return to. Go find one of those and take your boyfriend and go.
2: Hey, Dan. I'm a, a straight cisgendered male in a semi-long-distance relationship with a woman. And um, she keeps telling me that she doesn't deserve me and that she doesn't deserve friends and she doesn't understand why I and all of her friends love her and that we don't des- that. She doesn't deserve us and that we're all that she's just she's just dragging us down and and she keeps telling me this and oh, we had a text conversation that got out of hand and i got really angry at her i told her that she's crazy and she's depressed and not in the right state of mind and that she should get over it and i know that's like the wrong thing to do but like i can't deal with having somebody I love so much and see so much and hurt themselves like that. And I'm far away from her. I can't drive over to her and hold her and tell her it's going to be okay. It's just... I don't know what to do. I'm just... I'm at a loss. I I can't help. If I don't want to. And I don't know what I can do for her. And I, I guess I'm just calling this. As, I don't think I have many people to talk to about this. So. <laughs> Bye.
3: So uh, any developments since you recorded your question? Anything we need to know about?
2: Well, me and my girlfriend talked and she, we we've come to this weird stalemate where she needs a lot less communication and I need a lot more of it.
3: Mm-hmm. What why do you need more of it? You sounded like this relationship was putting you in a, a lot of pain. Why do you why do you wanna
2: I um I moved back home with my parents after college mm. and ninety-nine percent of all of my friends have either moved on or uh moved somewhere else. She
3: she she is an important person in your life. You rely on her for a lot of emotional support yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And she's going through a lot. She's uh she, she tells me she isn't depressed, uh, that she's just self-loathing. Well, I don't believe her. And,
3: <laughs> I don't believe. her. <laughs> just based on what you described, she sounds clinically depressed. It sounds like she really needs yeah. to be seeing someone uh, about mm-hmm. and considering perhaps medication to address what sounds to me like clinical chemical depression. Yeah, but I am not a doctor, and I only have your account to go on, and I am not a, more important than even that. I am not a doctor but I think she should go talk to someone.
2: She used to see a therapist and she sees a psychiatrist now. Uh, She's been seeing a psychiatrist for a long time. And I don't know. I don't, I'm far away. I don't know if she takes her pills regularly. And she's also been, she's been on different cocktails. She's also trans. So she has like a lot of hormones to take Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So it, uh, there's a lot of, of drugs involved that she may or may not be taking.
3: And hormones, particularly if someone has only recently started them or has been going on and off them, can really impact mood. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think she's been on them for uh, two years now, though, the hormones.
3: Okay, so we need to separate two issues out here. There's your your girlfriend who sounds like she's in a really bad way, and you Mm -hmm. are not nearby. And so you can't run over there Mm. and comfort her and hold her and tell her it's going to be all right. What you can do... Mm is reach out to, if she's in touch with her family of origin and has their support, reach out to her family, reach out to friends who, you know, are in her area to let them know that she could use some attention, love, support, a call, a text, yeah, you know, a meal, like to let people mm-hmm. know, to rally the troops. Because sometimes when people are in a really bad way, they're embarrassed to ask for help or support. So they will confide in someone who can't give them the help or support that they need at that moment, who is, you mm-hmm. know, physically far away, can't rush to them. And they'll tell that person Mm -hmm. what a bad way they're in because they don't want to reach out to someone nearby and then feel worse about creating an obligation or guilting that person or whatever. And so sometimes it's the obligation Mm -hmm. or the responsibility of the person, the depressed person reached out to who's far away to reach out on their behalf to people who are nearby, to give them a heads up. Because sometimes people go through the motions, they tell everyone they're fine and they're not fine. Mm -hmm. And they tell someone far away, far removed from their everyday, that they aren't fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be burdened with that can be very upsetting and crushing. You were crying in your call. To have that burden placed on you can be very upsetting. And so Mm -hmm. you, I think, in that position can use that energy, that upset, that concern. You can transform it into action taken on her Mm -hmm. behalf by reaching out to people that you know she would welcome the support if she has transphobic family members, don't give them an opportunity to burst in and tell her that mm. she's a terrible person. And maybe it's trans that's the, making her sad, whatever. Don't, if she's, mm. if she's dealing with transphobic family, don't send up a flag there. Yeah. She has
2: a, lo- a very loving family.
3: Well then reach out to them and say, now the other issue yeah. is, is your issue, which is she's pulling mm. away from you right now. And that's leaving yeah. you feeling, you know, back at your parents' house, back home from college, which is the case for so many kids getting out of college right now. So you don't have to feel bad about that. You're not a loser, but Mm. you're isolated. Yeah. You're isolated. And if Mm -hmm. you were in constant contact with her and you weren't just emotional support for her, but she also is support for you emotionally. And you're cut off from that right now. That's painful for you. But Mm -hmm. if she needs to be away from you, if she needs to go off and address her depression, see her psychiatrist, if she needs some time and space, you have to give it to her. You have no choice. Yeah. You have no choice. You have to give it to her. And then you have to address yeah. your feelings of isolation as its own discrete problem, not related to her at all. But you have to take some responsibility yeah. for your isolation. Get out of mm-hmm. the house. Don't just go to work. Talk to people at work that you've become friendly with, that you have some rapport with. And don't like be a creep. Just tell them straight up, like, I'm new here. Like All my friends moved away. Do you want to hang out sometime? Let's hang out
2: okay yeah and just
3: be honest and you know if it's awkward so what life is awkward Mm -hmm. yeah and get out there and 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 explore your interests and you know it's hard for adults you know i I raised a kid and a kid when they're four years old will walk up to another kid and say want to be friends and they run off together and they're friends for life and you can't say that to someone when you're 24 Mm -hmm. or, or 44 What brings people together, what establishes friendships in adulthood is circumstance. We worked in the same place. We hit it off. We were on the same volunteer committee. We were phone banking next to each other for Hillary Clinton and hit it off and started chatting. And then we started hanging out. That's how adults make friends. Circumstance brings them into orbit, brings them close by. Mm -hmm. You feel them out. You establish that you have something in common. You actually enjoy their company. And then you say, let's hang out sometime. I have tickets to this. You want to go to that?
2: Hmm. Yeah. So, uh it's weird because I'm in in school. It's the easiest thing to do. In real life, I have to get really used to just making the circumstance. I think.
3: And the more life you're living in real life, the more you're doing. Mm-hmm. Not just your job. Get the fuck out of the house. Go places. Do things. Join a gym. Join a club. Volunteer. The more you're doing. Yeah. The more life you're living. The more people you're gonna meet, the more friends you're gonna have, the more opportunity you're gonna have, and the less lonely and miserable you're gonna be. You sounded pretty yeah. miserable on your call.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right? If I was it was pretty low.
3: I'm quoting third hand uh Spencer Tracy in a movie that I heard uh C.K. Lewis quote in an interview with Terry Gross on NPR where Spencer Tracy was advising some young woman that who felt very sorry for herself, that people who are helping other people rarely have time to feel sorry for themselves. So go find somebody who needs your help. Who's not your girlfriend right now. Cause right now she's telling you, she doesn't need your help. Go find somebody else who needs mm-hmm. your help. Go volunteer is what I'm saying. Okay. Go volunteer somewhere.
2: I'll do. Yeah, I'll do that. That, that sounds like really good advice.
3: The country needs your help. Go phone
2: bank. <laughs> we'll do. Okay. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you, Dan.
11: Bye. Hi there, Dan. Uh, This is a 26-year-old female. I am in a happy relationship, five years with a super awesome, amazing guy. Um, We, from the beginning of the relationship, kind of talked about eventually opening it up, and we pulled the trigger on that. Um, I also mentioned from the beginning that I'm very attracted to women
0: and that I kind of wanted to
11: explore that. that. Um, And then basically we both went on Tinder. And that's been interesting. Um, and I got a message yesterday uh, from a woman who wants to get coffee and make out, and she would like to do that with both of us. Um, I've kind of deflected and said that I want to meet her first. And the reason for that being that uh, I'm not super excited to be there for my boyfriend to sexually disappoint another woman at the same time as me. Um, he, is, he is not good in bed. When we got together, I was a virgin. So I guess technically I have nothing to compare it to, but I'm pretty confident that it's not good. Um, How bad is it? Well, it feels like when he's going down on me that I'm getting a drunk high five from a starfish. Uh, Not good. So I don't know if I should tell him and ruin his confidence or if I should just kind of like let it play out. Um, I would like to uh, do sexy things with this lady before she meets him. And this is something we both really, really, really want. But I have tried telling him he's not good in bed and he did not take it very well. So there's that. I did all the things. I tried being vocal. This is like the one hang up our relationship has. And again, we're opening it. It's not really that big of a deal, I guess.
2: Oh, God. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's bad.
3: I don't understand why you're still with this guy. You're 26 years old. You've been in this relationship for five years. Sounds like four years and roughly 10 months ago, you realized he was bad at sex. And yet you stuck around. You tried to help. You tried to get him to get better at this sex stuff. Unfortunately, you waved that red flag in front of him by saying, you aren't good at this, which is the truth and sometimes you want to roll with the truth as awkward as the truth can be. But a lot of sex involves ego and sometimes the loving and supportive thing to do as a partner when you want to give critical feedback is to give it in a way that leaves their ego intact because their ability to perform often a guy's ability to get it up is really tied to self-confidence and his ego. So it can help in a circumstance like this. And I realize I'm advising you to you know, wheedle and play around in the margins and the edges, which I usually wouldn't advise a woman to do when talking to a man about anything else. But with this, sometimes it can help. Instead of saying you are bad at this, you're bad at sex. You need to be better at sex. It can help to say, this is how I like it. I need you to move in this direction so that when you go down on me, it doesn't feel like someone dropped a wet starfish onto my pussy. I need you to try this and this. And can we angle this way? And you can, help someone you can divert them you can channel their sexual energies and their sexual performance in a direction that works for you and then if there's progress if they move in that direction okay keep channeling keep nudging keep pushing keep protecting their ego while shaping them into a better sex partner making them better at sex but if you've tried and nothing works at some point you just gotta pull the plug at some point you gotta walk away Or, you know, if you love him and you got to stay, you can say, look, our relationship isn't about a great sexual connection, so let's stick with the great emotional connection. Let's still be fuck buddies of sorts, but let's seek awesome sex with other people. Because whatever he's doing, maybe what he's doing is awesome for someone, just not awesome for you. Maybe he's not actually bad at it, just not the right partner for you. A bad fit for you doesn't always mean someone is bad at sex for everyone. That's not your question. You didn't ask whether you should dump this guy or stick around or how to fix him. You've given up on fixing him. You're asking, how do I get in bed with this woman without having to inflict my lousy at sex, wet starfish faced boyfriend on her and her pussy? You can use your words and you can tell him that eventually you'd like to have a three way with her and him both. But at least at first you want to connect with her all on your own. So you can hold out the temptation of a three-way down the line to leverage out of your boyfriend permission to see her solo initially. You can also warn her, and then she gets to choose whether she wants to risk it. Or maybe you can give her the option. Tell her that you don't think your boyfriend's very good at sex, at least it's not good sex for you. Maybe they'll click. And if she's okay with him being there and it's more of a three-way and they really click and it really works for them, then it's not, he's bad at sex. Then we have our answer. He's good at sex, just not good sex for you. And you probably aren't good sex for him either. But if you want permission to get with her alone and to enjoy her alone without having to think about or be self-conscious about his presence or his performance, you got to ask him for that permission, not me. Hey,
12: Don. um, I am a 30-year-old from uh, Canada and a mother of a four-year-old and a two-year-old. This uh, literally just happened to me and I'm kind of freaking out and I just kind of want some advice and perspective. So I work uh, full-time and I work nights. So five days a week, I leave the house around 8 p.m. and I don't show up till the morning. So with me and my husband, you can imagine that that only leaves... So much time um, and opportunity for our sex life, and we have a great sex life. And on the weekends, we do our best to get it in. Um, but throughout the week, there really isn't much time. So I'm always more than happy to help my husband get through um, with a basement quickie or a blowjob. Now, usually we do go into the basement to do this, but today I'm running late and I wanted to get out the door. And I decided that we were going to have a. I was going to give him a quick blowjob um, in our living room. And out of all the days in the world, this is the day that my four-year-old daughter, who is supposed to be asleep in bed, decides to peek her little head down the stairs. And what comes out of her mouth, but mommy, why are you licking daddy's private parts? And my heart sunk and I felt like the worst mom in the world. And I panicked. And the answer I gave was, um no no no. Uh, Daddy has an owie under his underwear, and Mummy was just looking at it and <laughs> saying it now kills me. But I can't I can't take it back. And to be honest, I'm not sure what I should have said. Um, all I know is that she's a smart girl, and while she accepted this answer, um, I also don't know. You know how was I supposed to explain that to her to a four year old? Blowjob. I don't. I don't know. I'm very very much so. Um, in favor of giving my daughter uh, good sexual information, but I just don't think four years old is the right time to do it. Obviously, going forward, we plan on putting locks on the doors or not on her door, our door, and maybe doing this kind of stuff in the bedroom. Um, Obviously, I am the parent of a precocious preschooler, and that's new to me, and I just... I guess my question for you is... What should I have said? Um, And did I emotionally scar my daughter for life? And am I a bad mom or has this happened to other people? Please tell me it has.
3: Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Biz Ellis and Teresa Thorne, hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about life after giving life, which you can find anywhere you're better Podcasts are hawked, part of the Maximum Fun Network. Hey, Biz. Hey, Teresa. Thanks for joining me.
13: Thank you. Hi. Uh,
3: So before we get to this question, let's just share our horror stories. You guys have probably had kids walk in on you. Have you not? This is a common experience.
13: It is a very common experience uh, if you uh, fall into the category of parents who are having a very healthy sex life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think the key the key is blankets.
3: And not living rooms. How about that?
14: Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. if you're under a blanket, you can play almost anything off.
3: I, I have to, like, I, I'll go first. Maybe this will inspire you guys to, to share an actual story from your own personal experience, if you have one. I was fucking the shit out of my husband one morning, <laughs> which is usually the only time parents can squeeze in some sex when the kids are young, and suddenly we heard a voice, and our kid had walked into the room and i leapt off my husband and we pulled up the sheets which we neglected to keep up on us that whole time we wished you had had your advice earlier and the only thing that the first thing the thing that came out of my mouth before i could even think about it was i was just saying good morning to daddy (laughs) which then became our go-to euphemism for about a decade saying good morning to daddy
13: well, I will say I, I will I will say that I have not we have not had the kids walk out. We have very young kids. My oldest daughter's seven, so she's walkable. She can walk in anytime. Uh, if if it is a a evening after or a morning after, uh, Mama and Papa's special time. One of us may not be uh, dressed in as much attire as we normally would be on any daily basis. My daughter has at times said, "Where? why aren't you wearing, you know, pants? Or why are you still wearing that? Or what is that? You know, like she's very aware of the details of what we're wearing uh, or not wearing. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just, we just, uh, I, well, you know what? It's just more, it's hot. It's very <laughs> warm in the house. Hot. It's really hot. Go to your room. Usually I follow up with, I need you to go to your room now.
3: I have an example of an even worse case scenario than the caller described or even mine or yours. My sister walked in on my parents fucking many, many years ago when my sister was three and stood there, saw what was happening, didn't understand it, left the room. They never knew that she came into the room. (laughs) Left the room and went downstairs to my grandparents' apartment and told my six foot five grandfather that my dad was beating up his daughter. That's
13: yeah. The person
3: who then burst into the room who they noticed was in the room was my fa- my mother's oh. father, my grandfather, <laughs> kicking the door down to come rescue his daughter, who he thought was being assaulted.
13: You know what? I think... It's actually the more traditional scenario is the why are you hurting, you know, mm. mama? Why are you hurting papa? Like, why are you hurting each other or whatever? <laughs> just, which is, I think, actually harder to explain than the caller who I think did an amazing job in her panic-stricken answer to her child.
3: I do think it was a good answer because, and I don't think, you know, we want to be sex positive and you want to give kids yeah. all the information they need at an age, in an age appropriate t- you know, time, at the right time. Right. And I think four might be too soon to explain blowjobs.
13: Uh, yeah, it, it not, might be. It might yeah. be on the early side, you know, I, but I, I do think, I am so impressed. Trace and I both were talking about this, how impressed we were that you're, well, A, That you are that committed. I mean, that you guys have made sex like the commitment to having sex in that relationship, right? I mean, that, I mean, both of them are working really hard, crazy hours, opposite schedules, two small children, and they have made sex a priority. And that is just like hands down a great. Fucking job. Yeah. Literally. She's but doing such a good she's doing job. She's doing such a like, good the job. The fact
14: that she's worried about not being a good mom is crazy.
13: <laughs> like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's she's insane. doing such an amazing she, job. She's like, it's such an amazing like, job. she could be, yeah. It's yeah, unreal. like a million levels in yeah. this story and this call. But the fact that she's in the middle of this moment and her. And the best answer she can come up with is, daddy has an owie. I, I just think, like, for me, I was like, uh, uh, snake bite. I'm sucking the poison out. Uh, quick, call 911. Like I couldn't, like, I would never have come up with something as good as that. And I just thought, I just thought it was brilliant. It was a great answer. Yeah.
3: I think and, it's brilliant, too, because the, you don't want to give your kid an answer that then they're going to go out, go to school right? and try out. Like, oh, this yeah. is how people who like each other... Treat each other sometimes because then your kid might go to school thinking, well, I like my friend. And you could have some like disaster play doctor (laughs) moment in in kindergarten or preschool to say, you know, how how often do kids get owies on their genitals? Like rarely, if ever. And so your kid is unlikely to attempt to replicate that move in preschool to demonstrate affection. So I think that deflection, I think that lie was the age appropriate response to what the kid witnessed. Daddy has an owie.
14: Yeah. And also- doesn't daddy
3: really? And don't all daddies
13: have that
14: same owie? <laughs> it happens. It's it a very, happens. So very common w- problem. Only one way to take care of that owie.
13: <laughs>
14: <laughs> but I I was also thinking that, like, like I know, I, I could tell that this was kind of, like, eating away at her. And I mm-hmm. also felt like, worst case scenario, if it's, like, really killing her inside that she has, like, lied to her child about this, like, kids really don't give a shit about this kind of stuff. Like if, even <laughs> if enough. she decided, like, I want to go back and, like, actually, yeah. like, just tell my daughter something that's, like, a little bit closer to the truth or just, like, explain what I was doing. Like, you could basically say it in one sentence and your kid would move on. Like, I, regardless. Right. like You're I, I
3: obsessing think- about it. Your kid isn't. Our kid has never brought up the day yeah. he walked in on us, even though yeah. I talk about it sometimes and sometimes he's going to hear me talk about it and then he's going to be scarred. Not then. Well, that didn't scar him. Hearing me talk about it now would probably scar him.
13: Oh, yeah, yeah. no, exactly. Well, we were we were talking about this too before the show and this uh, this has come up a lot in the conversations that we have and that is what we as adults bring to the table in terms of our memories, our baggage, our whatever when something's happening. I mean, like what she and her husband were doing has a whole set of meanings for us that a four-year-old has no history or experience with. They they are literally <laughs> not seeing the same thing that we're doing. We we bring other stuff to it, so I can imagine that part of the guilt playing in that your kid, you know, maybe it's not that she lied. Maybe it's what's eating away is that she got, you know, busted doing this act with her husband and, and was witnessed by her precious, perfect baby. It's more about a guilt, but, like, I really just you know, want like Her daughter is not judging her. Yeah, her daughter's not <laughs> judging her, right. Yeah, she wasn't doing that. That's,
3: that's what middle. your mother is for. That's
13: yeah. right. That's right.
3: I have to say though that if it kills you inside to lie to a child, if the thought of lying to a child eats away at you and kills you inside, maybe you're not cut out for parenthood.
13: I lie all the time. <laughs> like, we lie to
3: our children. Constantly. It's our responsibility to lie to our children. Are you going to die, Daddy? You know, are you going to like after nine eleven? We just had the nine yeah. eleven anniversary. When that was going down, and my child was very young. Like is something, you know, could something ever happen to you? No, nothing could ever happen to me because I'm magic. Well, right. Reassure you lie to your kid constantly.
13: Yeah, and those are the big, deep ones where you then, then you like you worry later. Oh God, he's going to be really mad when I do. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do when I do die. That's going to suck. But like, there's the, the the little ones too. You know, like until my daughter learned how to tell time, I constantly was like, "It's late. It's way <laughs> past your bedtime. It is. I. Th- it is dark outside. You've been playing in here for twenty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Time <laughs> to go. We've got lots of places. Love the lies. Love the line. What do you but I mean you don't call-
3: like broccoli? All kids your age love broccoli because they feel like giants <laughs> eating trees. Whole trees are like a big monster. That's how we got to eat broccoli.
13: If you don't eat it, you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> you
3: know, the, co- the that caller's that call that last that question that. is something I also wanted to make sure we touched on. Did I emotionally scar my daughter for life? If not you, who? You're her parent. You're there <laughs> right. to emotionally scar her in some ways for life.
13: Well, I can, yeah, I think we can safely say you will scar her in bigger and better ways than this. This is,
8: like, there are
13: so many, like truths that your child is going to come like in contact with that is not the same. I mean, I'm still mad at my mother, not, I didn't realize that she had kept us from watching the end of Poltergeist as a kid. And so I never knew about the house disappearing. She was like, I just didn't like that scene where the woman was drug all over the wall in her underpants. And so like, we never, you know, like that was scarring. That was upsetting. <laughs> you know? Like I, I probably remember that more than ever seeing my parents doing anything physical with each other. Right. Like it's, You're not going to scar your child from this.
14: Wouldn't like worse scarring also be like making her daughter feel like ashamed? Yeah, exactly. That she like asked about it or that she walked in or like, I don't know, like she never walked in on I don't know. I just
3: feel like Those stories are out there. You hear from people who walked in on their parents and then got spanked. Right. I get calls from those people because they're still struggling with why they were punished at that moment. Yeah. Or innocently happening upon something and it made them feel uncomfortable and safe going anywhere in their house again ever. There right. are much worse responses yeah. than the white lie.
13: Yes. Oh yeah, no. I I still think this woman is the queen. Like everybody should write that response down and like and, and, <laughs> and and, save and it, stick, save case. it yeah. in their memory. And also, she now has time. Like she and her husband now have time to start thinking about what they do want to say if it ever comes back up again. Right? Like now they can like pre problem solve this. Was and that have... an
3: intentional double entendre? Because do is he like ever going to come back up again after the experience? If like it, it ever comes back up again,
13: Zig. If you ever get
3: hard again <laughs> after your child walking in on you. Get a blowjob you can address it then
13: uh uh anyway i think she did great i think it's like yeah she did like she's the amazing she's a thing. hero she is a hero she's a total hero She's like a mom trophy for yeah. all mom heroes biz
3: ellis and Teresa thorne hosts of one bad mother a terrific podcast about life after giving life from the maximum fun network check it out thank you so much biz and Teresa, for joining us today it was really fun talking
1: to you please come back
13: yes thank you thank you for having us and you guys are all doing an amazing job
1: Hey, Dan. In a relationship for eight years now, gay, uh, with my partner who is 40. I'm also 40. Um, He's a really super smoking hot looking guy with a great body, handsome face, got all the bells and whistles. I'm very happy with him. He's very happy with me, only he has a real issue with the size of his cock. He's very insecure about it. I think it's a perfect cock. It's like six and a half, seven inches. I'm nine, so he feels a little intimidated whenever. On the occasions that we do have a three-way, it's always an issue. And it's always been bothering him. And we're kind of like at a loss as how to deal with it. I've been giving him positive affirmations, telling him all the time how great, perfect his cock is. And he just does not see it. I really need help on what to say or what to do or what he can say or do to make him feel better about his beautiful dick that he does not see as beautiful.
3: The only answer here is to keep doing what you're already doing, which is to reassure him, tell him you love his beautiful and above average big dick, six and a half, seven inches. That is above average dick right there. He's not one of those guys with a micro penis. He's not one of those guys with a three-inch dick who has cause for this kind of complaint, perhaps, guys who haven't reconciled themselves to their genitals. And guys, just reconcile yourself to your genitals. Those are the genitals you've got And no amount of whining is going to get you more dick than you've already got. And dick ain't everything. Plenty of people out there with great big dicks who think that's all they've got to bring to bed with them to win sex. To be number one good at sex, they just have to bring a big dick. There is nothing worse than ending up in bed with someone who thinks that the effort required of them sexually – it's all in their genes, and they're done and they can just lay there with their giant penis accepting your adoration. Ugh, they're terrible. So a big dick doesn't necessarily correlate with good in bad or desirable. But I'm sure you've already told him all of this. The problem is you're sick of having to tell him this and you're going to have to get blunt about that. You're going to have to, when he whines about his dick, take him by the shoulders and say, you have a big, beautiful dick. I'm not discussing this with you anymore. Stop it. And just not entertain his insecurities. Not allow him to stop everything, stop a three-way, stop you feeling good about the three-way, stop you feeling excited about the three-way, to just mope about his dick. It's over. You're done at eight years. I detect in the sound of your voice frustration. And that's what you need to run with at this point. Not encouragement, not consideration for his fifis anymore. You need to express your frustration. You are fed up. You are sick of having to reassure him about his big, beautiful dick, which sounds like it's attached to a super hot man. He has nothing to complain about. Some guys have bigger dicks. You have a bigger dick. There are guys out there who have bigger dicks than you've got. Although once you get above nine inches, they're pretty much only good for knocking out drywall when you're doing a remodel. Not so much good for knocking around inside of other human beings, but there are guys out there with bigger dicks than your nine incher. Always somebody hotter, richer, bigger, whatever. -er. You have to love and accept what you've got. And it sounds like he's got a lot, including you and your nine inch cock. Don't let him whine at you anymore about it. If He whines at you about it. Shut it down. If he wants to whine at you some more about it after you shut it down, tell him he needs a therapist to discuss this with.
5: Hi, I'm from the UK. Just calling to say hi to Dan and the tech savvy at Rescue. I, a couple months, maybe six months out of uh, marriage to my male partner, we were together for seven years and he was, well, probably, I think, one of the biggest cheats that there has ever been. There is quite a bit of backstory. We are in business together, which means I have to see him every single day, and he still wears the wedding rings. He still tries to give me affection as if we were still together, despite the fact that everyone in our circle knows that we are not. We got married last August on the 22nd, and two days after... We got married. He was in bed with someone else, not that I knew. And it came out in February. So I, my social media presence meant that more people in my city were seeing me and started coming forwards with their stories about what they had been doing with my partner whilst we were together. And we were in a committed monogamous relationship, or at least that's what I thought. And more and more people would come forwards and he would deny it until it got to the point that these people had proof. And lots of it, you know, at least 20 different instances, which was rather heartbreaking. So I left him in June and moved out, set up my own. But weekly, you know, I hear from guys telling me what they've done with my husband, which is really horrible. But he's not getting the message. He doesn't seem to understand that we're over, that I want nothing more to do with him. I mean, I've really protected his Reputation in this town, but I'm kind of sick of doing that. Because actually, I feel like if I go out on a date with a guy, my first question has to be, "Oh, so have you slept with my ex-husband?" Um, yeah, so it's really frustrating. I don't know how to communicate with him that we're done and that there's no part of me that really wants to go back to this. The whole way through our relationship, the sex was non-existent. I felt like a pet for like the last seven years.
3: Why did you marry him? You felt like a pet for seven years, for six years until you married. You felt like a pet, not a lover, not even a spouse, a pet. And you married him anyway? I'm not blaming you for what went down. it's not your fault that this was done to you and you've been humiliated in the ways in which you have in front of every other gay man in your community it would have been perfectly rational on your part just to assume that this was a sexless but loving relationship and sex wasn't important to you. So you could go without it. Obviously not important to him either and you're both just kind of going without it and living your lives and having your business and loving each other and why not get married even though there's no sex. But I assume you're a sexual person. This feeling of being a pet can't have been a good feeling because there was something missing from that relationship that you wanted Sex, you should prioritize sexual compatibility and sexual fulfillment in what is supposed to be a sexually exclusive relationship, crucial in what's supposed to be a sexually exclusive relationship. And you were in what you thought was a sexually exclusive relationship where there was no sex at all. My advice for you would be much more useful if I had the one tool, all advice columnists and sex and relationship advice podcast hosts everywhere wish we had, which is a goddamn time machine. You could rush back and say don't have that baby or don't get married to this person don't have that three way don't go to that play party or whatever it needs to be said in a timely fashion anyway i don't quite understand your question a lot of vamping there to get to i don't quite understand your question how do you communicate to him that you don't want to be with him you already fucking divorced him what part of divorce didn't he understand I wonder if you're not misinterpreting his efforts to remain cordial, although wearing the wedding ring, that's a little weird after the divorce. I wonder if you're not misinterpreting his efforts to remain cordial and on even keel at work for he longs to get back together with you. Seems to me that this is something that could be solved with one knockdown, drag out, screaming argument. I don't like how you treat me at work. I don't like how familiar you are. We are not spouses anymore. Take that fucking ring off. It is a lie. Get your back up and get in his face and tell him how you are feeling and express your anger. More of it. Give him another taste of it. I expect that you were angry with him when you were divorcing him, when you found out that he had been cheating on you constantly with everyone for seven years. The entire time you were together. I hope you were angry Get angry again. Let him know that this is not okay with you and look into selling the business because you two need to get away from each other. And if the business is good and solid, he can buy you out or you can buy him out or you can sell it together and cash out both of you. And then you can move to a new city full of men that he hasn't fucked yet.
5: Hey Dan, I just listened to episode 521 and you're perpetrating an old myth about who's in charge during a BDSM scene. The top is not in charge, but neither is the bottom. Just like any other sexual encounter, both parties are there to have their needs met, and either party can withdraw consent at any time. Neither is there to service the other, at least not in a one-sided sense. So whether it's one person or two or more, everyone has a right to consent, and everyone has a right to get their needs met. Thanks, man.
1: Hi, Dan. This is in response to episode 521 about the guy who wasn't too upset about after breaking up or getting broken up with. Well, I think some of the information you gave him was pertinent, I think he was just looking for some kind of validation that, you know, maybe he's a really independent person, he's in his 20s, and the relationship is not all that defines him. So as a similar type person that, yeah, a relationship adds to your life, it might not be everything. And so if he has a lot of self-confidence and a lot of stuff going on, it just might be that it's not enough to rock his ship. So there are other people out there like you.
0: Hi, Dan. Calling in response to the uh, woman who was really annoyed with her boyfriend who keeps, like, kind of grabbing and pawing at her and then moping whenever she tells him to stop. Um, You mentioned that, like, he should be upset and he should be moping. But the thing is, it's pretty clear from the fact that he keeps grabbing at her and groping her and annoying her that it's not that he's actually full of regret. When he's doing that mopey, I'm a terrible boyfriend kind of... um, act. He's doing that to get her to basically play off her anger and to have to like do emotional work, making him feel reassured about having like completely crossed her boundaries. So I mean, I respect that you were trying to like encourage her to repair the relationship since that's what she wants. But honestly, he sounds like a rapey asshole. I know she said it wasn't a rapey thing and that it was more toddlery, but he's a grown ass man and he keeps pawing at her and then uh, is unwilling to face any consequences for that by moping and making her reassure him. So I'm going to say that's a D-T-M-F-A.
3: Before we leave it there, I want to say to listeners in California, please vote against Prop 60. Look up what the LA Times and the SF Chronicle. encourage you to do, which is to vote no for really good reasons on why you should vote no. And check out the website, don'tharassca.com for more information on why you should vote no. We're going to leave it there. As you may have noticed, there was a little more politics in the show. At the top of the show, I said there was going to be no more politics. It was just a little more politics. If you like politics and you like how I rant about politics, you might want to check out Blabbermouth, another stranger podcast where I'm on most weeks ranting about politics with Eli Sanders, Pulitzer Prize winning when host. Of Blabbermouth. Also, check out One Bad Mother, and thanks to the Bad Moms for coming on our show today. Check out their podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Love Cast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Seattle and Portland, tickets are going fast for HumpFest 2016. Go to humpfilmfest.com right now to get your tickets while you still. The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back next week with another installment of the Savage Love Cast.